Hi, this is Jonathan Keller. And this is John Girardi. Happy to be here for the next episode of Life, Family, Liberty, a podcast from California Family Council. And man, John, ever since we did our last episode, there is quite a lot to talk about. Yeah, because we haven't done a podcast in a really long time, but that's it, okay. It's been it's been just a little while. Both of us have been pretty busy traveling uh, up and down the state. And in, in, in fairness, Jonathan's been working out the kinks of the podcast itself so that uh, it can be on iTunes and things like that. So if you want to subscribe to us and get these podcasts regularly, uh, go to iTunes, go to SoundCloud. Yeah. Subscribe any which way you can. You can go to our brand new website, which is californiafamily.org. Click on the podcast tab, and you can listen through, like John said, SoundCloud. Uh, you can share these on Twitter. You can subscribe. If you're old school like John, you can go to the, the iTunes app. Just a dinosaur pressing all these extra buttons I don't have to press on my iPhone. If you're, anyway. If you're crazy like me, you can download and listen to the podcast at super fast speed so that you cram in more podcasts per listening day. So Speaking of not wasting time, why don't we just launch into the podcast? Here we go. Probably not a bad idea. So for today's episode, we wanted to talk with you about two different things. Number one, what are called SOGI laws, and second, what are called RIFRA laws. So John, kind of the overarching one of these laws is RIFRA, R-F-R-A, which stands for the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. This is not something new that just cropped up in the last year since the Obergefell decision that legalized gay marriage, though. This is an, a long-standing law. Can you explain what RIFRA is? Right. So in the 90s, the United States Supreme Court issued some decisions on the First Amendment that put religious free exercise of religion rights at sort of a lower level than people were comfortable with, and and people weren't very comfortable with what the Supreme Court had done. So Congress passed a law called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and essentially what it did is it imposed the highest level of constitutional scrutiny on any governmental, and this was a federal statute, so this applied to the federal government, it applied the strictest level of constitutional scrutiny to any federal action that infringed upon a person's right to exercise their religion, to live out their religious faith in their public life. Effectively, what this law can have the effect of doing nowadays, and what, what is sort of the most controversial way in which it uh, comes into play nowadays, is that if an individual is for example, religiously opposed in some fashion or another to gay marriage and does not want to participate in gay marriage, there can't be a federal law that coerces him to participate or something because that federal law won't stand up to the strictest level of what's called strict scrutiny, which is the highest level of constitutional scrutiny that judges apply to a law that says unless unless the government has an incredibly compelling interest in forcing you to do something, and unless the government is using the most narrowly tailored means possible, the federal government can't require you to do something that violates uh, your conscience rights, your right to free exercise of religion. Now that applies only to federal government actions. A lot of states since the 90s, when President Clinton signed this bill into law... Just, just to clarify, folks, this law was signed by President William Jefferson Clinton. William Jefferson Clinton, it, who it, has since derided his own act of signing this law. It, it as also if passed. Never had, but, had nothing to do with but it. But this was really controversial, right, Johnny? It was probably a 50 50 vote in the U.S. Senate. It was more of like a 100 to nothing vote. Yeah. I, I, I think I don't know if 97, it was exactly... 97 to 0. Yeah, it was, it was just incredibly uncontroversial at the time. But there's a lot of controversy about it nowadays. Since the 90s, various individual states enacted state versions of RIFRA laws and with the intent of sort of copying what the federal law did and saying individuals 
can't have their religious rights burdened by government regulations and government requirements. Well, nowadays, now that gay marriage has become the law of the land, and now that popular support for gay marriage has reached an all-time high, RIFRA laws are being looked at as heinous, on par with Jim Crow laws, because they allow, for example, a baker who bakes wedding cakes, who doesn't you know, want to put his talents to use to participate in and celebrate a gay wedding, uh, a RIFRA law could potentially protect him from an otherwise applicable state law that says that you can't discriminate against a person based on sexual orientation. Right. So right now, that's what's happening in a lot of states, particularly this is happening in Georgia. Georgia's legislature passed a RIFRA statute. Again, this is basically copycatting what the federal government already did in the 90s under President Clinton. They passed it, and Georgia's governor, a Republican, vetoed the bill, which is a real loss for people who care about religious liberty as we do. Because again, now if you're a Christian who does not believe gay marriage is something you should celebrate and participate in, and you're in the wedding industry in some way, well, guess what? If, if you own a, a hall that you rent out, if you are a baker, if you're a florist, if you're a photographer, and you refuse to participate in one of these, well, guess what? You can be sued in the same way you would be sued if you refused a black person's wedding. Mm. So it's the same kinds of lawsuits that you're subject to if you're discriminating on the basis of race. Yeah, It, it now applies to sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression in mm. many cases. Now, I, something that I think is really key to point out, uh, and our friends at ADF, especially my friend Kelly Fedorik, and uh, Carrie Kupek, who work in the both the legal side but also the media side, they would be mad if I did not point out one of the, the best true talking points about RIFRA is that RIFRA was designed to be a shield, not a sword. Right. And, and the, the idea that, folks, a lot of times you'll hear these laws are described as, oh, uh, you know, we're going to talk is about an anti-gay bill, right? Yeah. Right, and and Mississippi, for example, just signed a law that was very similar to the one in Georgia, actually a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. And I I literally saw headlines from Think Progress and other groups that says Mississippi governor signs license to discriminate. Yeah, it, it to clarify. The federal RIFRA law has been in effect <laughs> since 1993. Uh, maybe a little later than that. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 19. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was 1993. Our, our uh, crack, our uh, crack research, research team, of, team. Of me and Google is. Uh, well, they'll look at this, right but now. I believe it was uh, 1993, and in all that time, there is not a single instance of when RIFRA has been used to attack or to litigate against someone who is a member of the LGBT community. When you think of discrimination, it's it's not something that someone has been denied in any remote, close way. It's, it's not even comparable to what was happening in the Jim Crow South. It's not, no one has been denied uh, a sandwich at a lunch counter. People are not denied uh, hotel lodging simply right. because they identify as LGBT. Right. Our crack research team uh, of several monkeys with uh, typewriters came back, and yes, it was passed in 1993, Jonathan. Oh. But yeah, but it, it, it's almost, I think offensive to suggest that there's some comparison here between Jim Crow laws and these laws. I mean, under Jim Crow, African Americans, there was a ceiling on how far they could advance in society. Mm. And there were real hindrances to them being allowed just to function within 
the environment where they lived. You couldn't go to a grocery. You couldn't go to some grocery stores. Yeah. You couldn't go to some hotels. Yeah. You couldn't drive to couldn't through this your, town. You couldn't fill up you your car at some gas stations. Yeah, you couldn't fill up your car at some gas stations. Yeah. It affected basic services, food, lodging, uh, where you can buy gas, where you can, you know, these very Daily. essential things. But, John, and, w- what if someone is gay and they've been discriminated against and and they are not able to become the CEO of the world's most valuable company like Apple Computer. Oh wait, oh, wait. I, I'm sorry. Oh, wait. That's yeah. right. And exactly, and and that was the other thing. It was the, the invidious sort of economic discrimination under the segregated South in in the Jim Crow area era. You couldn't go to the best uh, schools. Schools. You couldn't yeah. get hired by the best law firms. You couldn't get employed by the best companies because they would discriminate against you if you were black. There were these humongous societal weights that were being put on African Americans that they couldn't rise up. And that just is not the case with, especially not with these laws. (laughs) All these laws are saying really is, hey, if you want to bake a cake, if you want a cake for your your wedding, this one Christian baker says he doesn't want to do it for you. Just go to another baker. I mean, yeah. a wedding cake is not like some essential service. A wedding right. photographer is not an essential service. A florist is not an essential service. You know, being needing to rent this church hall, this hall that's owned by, say, a Christian church that yep. doesn't agree with gay marriage, that, that's not some essential service necessary for your progress in society. And none of these laws are saying that it's legitimate to for uh, like a secular business to fire someone because he's gay they're not right. saying it's legitimate to do any of these sort of list of horribles that genuinely existed under Jim Crow and right. just aren't existing now and i think it's it's actually historically completely ignorant and kind of offensive hmm. to just sort of say oh this is jim crow all over it, it well, isn't and, and it to bo- isn't. to borrow a word from our friends on the left um, I, i'm thinking of the black lives matter movement and some other groups which I, I think can in some cases have legitimate grievances it seems like the lgbt community is actually engaging in appropriation <laughs> oh hey <laughs> that, that, that's 100 percent true that they're actually to, to me it's kind of shocking because i think that we need to point out this is a very crucial point you can be 100 percent against racial discrimination you can be against you know unkind unfair treatment of individuals and still support religious liberty and still support refer laws correct right yeah i mean again what we're fighting for is not to no one's saying homosexuals need to be shunned out of society. No one says homosexuals should be legislated out of existence. That isn't what's being proposed, and it isn't what's happening. Right. All that's happening is we're saying, look, Christians should be able to function in a way that respects their conscience. And yes, we understand that gay marriage is now the law of the land. Okay. You won. (laughs) But the idea that now all opposition in public life to gay marriage should be utterly silenced, that you can't run your business in accordance with that idea, no, that's where we have to draw the line in the sand. And and this is an important thing that I think comes in with the shield and the sword analogy again. I I had a conversation, Facebook debate, with one of my friends over the weekend, and actually I'm going to be, once we edit this podcast down, I'm going to post this podcast on his 
Facebook page <laughs> in the comment section. Is really in your face? And no, no, just, you know, I, I, I had a, a very respectful and polite discussion. This is, this is my friend Tom. And Tom, if you're listening to this, I sincerely appreciate you uh, letting your page be a forum for these issues to be discussed. Uh, Tom and I have a difference of opinion on the Bible's stance and position on homosexuality, for okay. example. However, I, I think there's a really key point here. You can even disagree, like Tom and I do, on whether or not homosexuality is sinful, whether or not gay marriage should be accepted and uh, uh, validated, yeah. either within the church or legally. And even if you disagree with me on that, if, with, if you disagree with John and I on that, you can still believe that RIFRA laws are a good idea. The thing right. that was so frustrating going through this Facebook post was... There were people that were saying, look, I disagree with you, Jonathan. I disagree with your position on gay marriage. I disagree with your position on whether or not the church should approve gay marriage. And some people were saying even something along the lines of, look, you know what? You you can't impose your beliefs that gay marriage should be legal or not legal. And I was thinking this to myself— This isn't an imposition. No, th I mean, this isn't. And, and, and again, this, the shield and the sword analogy, all I'm asking— for these individuals, for these uh, businesses, and for these wedding vendors is, look, when did it become all right? I understand that you don't want to impose—you don't want me to, quote-unquote, impose my beliefs on you. When did it become okay for you as an individual to come and demand that I provide a artistic expression of my talents to right. you a as a photographer, as a baker— as a uh, wedding venue. Yeah. And at what point, why is it suddenly okay that I have sincerely held religious beliefs? You can disagree with those. I mean, we've talked about this, I think, before on the podcast. John is Catholic. I attend a Southern Baptist church. We have friends that are members of the, the Mormon church. We have friends that are Jewish. If we all sat down on a panel and we were having a theology discussion— we're all going to have probably some slightly different ideas about who the person yeah. of Jesus was. We're going to have some slightly different ideas about who Jesus's mother Mary was. You know, we're, we're, the, the reason I bring it up is it doesn't matter that we have theological discussions. That's, that's fine. But if all of a sudden any one of the four of us on that panel says, no, you have to now start acting according to my beliefs and you have to discard your own beliefs and begin to treat me according to mine, well, then we have a problem. And I, I think that's what we're seeing happen in these cases. It's, it's working out beyond matters of doctrine to very practical things, and I, yeah. I'm worried about where this stops. Yeah, well, it's, it's effectively trying to legislating out a certain set of beliefs from, yeah. from public life. Well, and beyond the, the Mississippi law, which we're very, very grateful that they signed, there was another law that was passed. Uh, it was actually a, a, a repeal, sort of, in a way, a preemption law right. for North Carolina. Right. So North Carolina, the city of Charlotte had passed an ordinance uh, allowing transgender people. P people who identify, people who identify as LGBT. As, as the T in LGBT, right. people who identify as transgender, to enter and use the public bathrooms that fit their current gender identity or gender expression, not necessarily the bathroom that is in accordance with their biological sex. And this results in, this does and can result in, men using women's bathrooms. Uh, grown men using the same bathroom that women and girls are using. And the state of North Carolina said, we don't think that's a good idea. So North Carolina pre preempted what Charlotte had done by passing a law effectively saying, for restrooms that are open to the general public, men have to use men's bathrooms, 
women have to use women's bathrooms. And it's not on the basis of gender identity or gender expression. It's on the basis of your biological sex. It was, it was uh, introduced, passed by both houses of the legislature, passed, uh, signed into law by the governor, uh, and it has met with a lot of protest and a lot of opposition. Mm. All the big waving signs that we're very familiar with in California, no hate in our yeah, state. no hate, no hate, because hate is the only thing that's motivating this. Not, right. not a concern about men being in women's mm-hmm. bathrooms, not a concern about women being in men's bathrooms, not, a, not any concern about privacy or anything like that. No, it's only hate because mm. we're just irrational hate monsters who, who just go around <laughs> doing – no. I mean that's just it's, – it's just an unfair way to characterize things. Yeah, so obviously it's, it's not that people are motivated by hate. It's not that people are, like you said, going around shaming people. It really is a safety issue. It's a, it's a desire to protect people. Yeah. And one of the things that's so sad is that a lot of businesses, big businesses, are jumping on the bandwagon – and they are bullying states like North Carolina. PayPal was set to expand in Charlotte. They were going to open a new plant with about 300 jobs, and they announced that they were pulling out. They said, "Nope, sorry, we're gonna we're gonna give up on that expansion plan." And instead, you know, we we, we wouldn't want our people to feel unsafe or maligned or discriminated against. Anyway. So, the thing that I thought was so good, the response from the lieutenant governor. Uh, of North Carolina. Dan Forrest is great. And by the way, if, if any of you want to go online, just do a search for the the governor, Pat McCrory, or the lieutenant governor, Dan Forrest. They've done a great job. Go online, and uh, you might even want to send them an email or a tweet or express your support of them. But listen to what Lieutenant Governor Forrest said when he heard about PayPal deciding to pull out of Charlotte. Quote, If our action in keeping men out of women's bathrooms and showers protected the life of just one child or one woman from being molested or assaulted, then it was worth it. North Carolina will never put a price tag on the value of our children. They are priceless and precious. If a corporation wanting to do business in North Carolina does not see the worth of our children in the same light, then I wish them well as they do business somewhere else. Well, that was sort of a, another way of saying, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Exactly. And I, I'm, I'm very grateful that you have legislators and executives that are standing up respectfully. They're not saying we hate transgender people. They're not saying we hate no. people that identify. They're saying we need a solution other than just indiscriminately letting right. people who are claiming that they identify as a transgender right. man to female uh, go into women's bathrooms. Right. And, and and that's absolutely true. And that, that's one of the difficulties with the transgender theory is that it's how you express yourself at a certain time. Mm-hmm. It isn't I've made a permanent switch to identifying as a woman. If you can just say, oh, today I identify as a woman and go into a women's bathroom. And who are we to say whether you're being, you're sincerely having struggles with your identity or if you're just a gross peeping Tom. And there have been a number of instances of gross peeping Toms claiming to be transgender. Yeah. Uh, So it's, I don't think we're blind to the problem of, you know, if someone has these real gender issues and identity issues, they feel unsafe going into a bathroom of their sure. own. Like if they're, you know, a man dressed as a woman yeah. and they go into a men's restroom, they feel unsafe, like they're going to get beat up or something. You know, sure. I, I'm not, we're not saying we're completely immune to the struggles that this person might have. I yeah. think we're more likely to say that maybe there are genuine issues there mm-hmm. rather than just treating this as a perfectly normative and normal thing. Uh, this is something we would say informed by our biblical 
worldviews and right. things like that. But, but as a matter of public policy. But it, as a matter of public policy, the, the, you're, there are real problems of privacy for girls right. and women who are, you know, got some guy in there in a dress. And, right. And they're, you know. And there they are have, they should have rights too. There are solutions. Like I know a lot of a lot of states and a lot of businesses, for example, have, uh, pardon the pun, transitioned hey. to, to, to using uh, single stall restrooms. Right. Uh, and as a result, I, I think that really does solve the problem. I'm I am not saying, and I don't think either of us are saying. I don't know any public policy advocate in our movement that, that is saying. We believe that if you are a anatomical male that is dressed as a woman, you should be hounded out of restaurants. You should not be able to use any restroom facility. Of course not. No. Not remotely. No. Uh, and if I if I was a restaurant owner and I had someone who was transgender that came in and wanted to use my restroom, I'd be more than happy to accommodate them. My concern would be I would but want to— But you draw to... the line at a man using a woman's bathroom and and a woman using a man's bathroom. Correct. Because... Especially, well, I, I should say men and women sharing the same bathroom at right. the same time. Right, right. That, that's, that's really it. And, yeah. I, and I think there are, there are common sense ways that we can address this. There's common sense public policy solutions. And really, I think all of us from around the country should be able to— come together and address these in a respectful way without resorting to, you know, the hate and the bigots and, and, and all the other language that gets thrown around yeah. so much. So, anyway. fo- folks, we uh, always appreciate you tuning in with us here on Life, Family, Liberty. Absolutely. Hope, hope that you'll tune in again and you will share this information. You can find us on soundcloud.com slash lifefamilyliberty. You can find us on our new website, californiafamily.org. Of course, if you would like to make a donation... Please Make do. sure to click the big red donate button. There you go. And we greatly appreciate your prayers and your financial support. And share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Tumblr, All, yeah. email, whatever you want to do. Yes. But we, we very much appreciate your support and prayers. And for Life, Family, Liberty, I'm Jonathan Keller. I'm John Girardi. Look forward to talking to you next time. <laughs>